Okay, thank you, and uh, I just need one hurrah. Hurrah! That's a real joy for me, and what an honor. General Dana, thank you. General and Mrs. Faulkner, General and Mrs. Dana, and General and Mrs. Payne. And Colonel Mannion, it's a pleasure and an honor to share the table with you this evening. I have to walk carefully around Vannevar Bush, because when I showed up as a freshman at Princeton, I had Don Stokes, who's no longer alive anymore, and he was teaching me about Pastor's Quadrant, invented by Vannevar Bush, and what the theory of his innovation quadrant would be, I'm gonna use the word several times tonight, and what that effect would have on the McNamara principle throughout the development of the Presidential Office of Science and Innovation, and uh, now we've come so far. So uh, um, I thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Local Motors, I was given a job, so I'm here to do it, and I intend to do it faithfully. I'm gonna talk about my team. I wanna thank my team for joining me this evening. You all are awesome. It's amazing to be able to lead you, and I hope someday to be led by you. Uh, so our name is not what it sounds. We're more of a motor of a local economy than we are local motors, as it would appear. I think of us as existing to shape the future. You've heard words from soon-to-be CEO Woods tonight, and, uh, um, and really, honestly, uh, this is what I am most passionate about, uh, building things quickly and having them make a difference in people's world. So I think of us as innovators, and manufacturers. And unfortunately, the world that the whiz kids that McNamara gave us and the world that Henry Ford and Frederick Taylor gave us, it is true, if they were here today, they would definitely come to a different conclusion than where we are. And I believe as a patriot and as an American and as a diehard Marine, rah, that, that this is the only way to be expeditionary. And so I set about building local motors to do that. And really, honestly, a lot of people assume that you prototype, but we don't. And then people think that your goal in life is to mass manufacture, but we don't do that either. I like to think of our company as sitting in the sweet spot. We sit in the sweet spot where we're not encumbered by the bad decision-making that comes with having to make a million things before you have enough intelligence to get it out but we also dream a lot bigger than just making one unit of something. We want it to be effective and we want it to be in the size where a group of people can use it repeatedly. Nicely, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so it's possible to have this age where today it's a change. It's a major change to have the unrivaled capacity to make improbable things come to life. And I am so happy to be where I am today, but it didn't come without a lot of doubt. We started in the vehicle world, and the vehicle world is one we chose because of this picture that you see. This picture is what makes the vehicle the toughest to change. If anybody had anything to do with the AAAV program that was ill-fated perhaps from the beginning, you will know how difficult it is to make a critical requirement document for something that just can't exist, a booby bird that flies. It doesn't really work. And so knowing well what can work takes intelligence that's far beyond one person's mind. So if you're going to attack a system, the biggest system of them all is a big fat target to make things happen. And I believe if you fix the complexity, that you can fix a lot of things. If there are any rocket scientists in the audience, you know that the science of rocket is for everything you add into the payload, you gotta add fuel to take it up. And then you have to add a little more fuel to take the fuel to take the thing up. And on goes the shaggy dog story. The same thing is true with complexity, but in reverse. 
If you can take complexity out, then you can take the complexity out that adds the complexity in in the first place, and on downward, you can decomplexify something. So for us, I felt like this came in my moment to do what I was called to do. And for the longest time, I thought it was being a Marine. And I loved it. It's the hardest decision General Dane asked me that I was the toughest thing I ever did. And the toughest thing I ever did, God's truth, was make a decision to get out of the Marine Corps. But I did it because I felt that there was an obligation to be great. I knew that there was a team someday that I would find which shared that obligation to be great. This was my grandfather and my dad. My grandfather owned the Indian Motorcycle Company for 13 years, and it was the greatest failure of his life. But he recovered, and he built Texas Industries. He loved Indian, but it wasn't a business success. Building Texas Industries was something that he didn't love, but it was a business success. And it was the first mini mill in the country, for those of you that are business theorists. He took on U.S. Steel and said, I can do it better by using innovation in order to be able to make steel differently. So Texas Industries was a great success. And later on in his life, he ended up doing what he loved the most, and that was creating the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So because of my grandfather, we have Big Bird and PBS. And so, thank you. I'll accept it for him. He never got to see me be a Marine, and I'm not quite sure what he would have thought about it, but I definitely think the world of him, and this was, um, uh, this was his tribute in life, receiving an award from Barbara Bush for the creation of the public television stations in CPD. So, I grew up on a boat, but it was a different kind of boat than a MAGTAC boat, different kind of a boat than a Mew. My dad was very successful as a real estate entrepreneur, and we went around the world for seven years on this boat. It was amazing. Saw everything from the sea, but not from the littoral regions of the sea landing. And I thought that I had enjoyed a charmed life. This was me graduating from Princeton with my dad and my roommate at time, and I had no idea what I was gonna do, but the world was my oyster, and I was gonna go out and take Vannevar Bush's lessons and make it awesome. And everything changed when I got out. I went to China, and this was my first job, looking out of a window in the port and working on a medical device company and looking at what the world was really like to make things. And then this was my next job. I was bored in China. And a young man who still is a great friend today convinced me to join the Marines. I was older, it's true. It was already cats out of the bag. I was 26 and a half and my hips were already hurting before I got in the Marine Corps. Well, PT. And so, uh, um, but it was the right thing for me to do for so many reasons, and I fell in love with the Corps, and it's so great tonight to see some faces of people that I served with, and uh, um, it was an amazing uh, culmination for what I was told by that young man that I met that convinced me to join is, have you ever led anybody? And when I thought about it, I thought I really hadn't. And so the Corps was an opportunity for me to get ready for the greatest challenge of my life. And that was what I do today. And uh, at the time, when I was in the Corps on my second deployment, um, a friend of mine and Lieutenant Fletcher, then Lieutenant Fletcher at the time, uh, was killed while we were on that deployment. And then my first OPSO was killed on that same deployment. First guy I ever knew that read um, books on a device. He had a Palm Trio and he would sit in the back of the helo and read books. And I'm pretty sure that when he died in the back of the helo, which was shot down, that he was reading the Palm Trio at that time, just keeping himself busy. And so uh, um, at that moment, I felt like I can do something different with vehicles. And they were highly complex systems, but I wanted to make a difference. 
And so um, I made a decision and I told my boss that I was gonna get out and I was gonna start a company that was gonna make vehicles and they were gonna do it differently. And he said, how much money do you have, Captain Rogers? And I said, maybe $8,000. And he was like, that's not enough. And I said, thanks, General, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And he said, you gotta go to business school. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. And he said, I'm not asking, I'm telling. And so I did, I went to business school, again, older than all the patriots, and I started Local Motors. And my goal was less oil, fewer accidents. These were the things that I was going after, and the car must die. Because it was this big, fat target to go after. It's a $2 trillion industry, and I felt like I could make a difference to make that happen. But I knew that I wanted to get the complexity out and try to fix everything. So we went back to the drawing board and we came up with two principles. And the two principles were co-creation. And co-creation to me is getting brands and customers to work with innovators to make and accelerate product development. It's what General Dana talked about tonight. If you can dream it, you want to be able to drive it the next day. That's what we wanted to do. But it doesn't happen at a tech shop. It's a curated interaction. My Latin teacher in high school used to call it a benevolent tyranny. And that's what it's like being in a Marine Corps command, I think, at times. It's a benevolent tyranny, but it's a curated interaction. And then the second part of the innovation that we have is called micromanufacturing. And this, to Marines, you will understand. It means about being expeditionary and being forward deployed to make something. So for us, but it's forward deployed and being connected. It's a connected space and a platform place for rapid product development, but not prototyping. And by definition, it's expeditionary. You get out and you get close to the customers. Sakichi Toyota used to talk about Kaizen, which is a form of constant improvement, but what he wanted was Kaizen with customers. The problem is that big car companies today, and really most big companies, don't own their customer in the way that they would like to. With mass production, you, you don't get that opportunity. So this is the way I saw the product and the product future. Big graph. But on the vertical axis is an ownership spectrum, and on the horizontal axis, for those Marines out there, that's the flat one, <laughs> like me, that's the customization axis. Today, mass manufacturing and mass production sits in a tight little circle in the middle on those axes. And technology sits distantly far away. Things like cognition and AI and other things like that. And guess what? It's seven years apart. It takes seven years to get together. And that means you're always late to the party. And you're especially late to the party on the battlefield. So for me, my ambition and what we built at Local Motors is to get products out really close to the frontier of technology. And you use co-creation and micromanufacturing to do it. And in that way, you can be six months from when you need to launch a product. It's not one day, but you can be six months away. We did it with the Rally Fighter. The Rally Fighter was the world's first co-created vehicle. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. How awesome is that? And I didn't make it. Our community made it. 500 people from the community, led by one community member, made it, and it was incredible to see that vehicle go today in what, if those of you like the Fast and Furious franchise, Letty's driving this car in the next movie that's coming out. That's awesome for us. But it wasn't fast enough for me, and I don't mean speed-wise, it's to make it. Because we had to build it in more traditional digital ways. And then we did the XC2V. And the community member that won this challenge from ours had the honor of meeting President Obama at the time, as a DARPA challenge winner that won a local motor challenge to design this vehicle. We went on to do the REF's mobile command post. This was an inspiring exercise. We were down at Benning, and we had about 20 soldiers that were requirements riders. And if you know it, they're about as far away from the battlefield as possible. <laughs> Truly. And we got them to come out from the command post, from writing requirements for two weeks, and we took two vehicles, made them replicable. We gave them 
drone launching capability, eight hours of whisper quiet mode, ability to carry four wounded soldiers in litter position, different weapons carriage, ability to be able to do a whole host of things that they always dreamed of having on a vehicle, and spec to be able to be paradroppable. All in two weeks, built outside of their hooch by rapid making capabilities, and with instructions to do it again and again and again and again and again. That's scary, scary how fast you can do that. So that was our exercise with the ref, and then I got inspired to do it even faster. So we did the world's first 3D printed car, and it took us 44 hours, but you could hit a button with recyclable material and walk out of the room and a car would pop out the other side. It seems unbelievable, but that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make it possible so that you could see whatever you could imagine and drive it in 44 hours. And then we went on and we did a highway speed one just to show that we weren't kidding when we went out and we did a low speed vehicle. And then we went on and we made the, uh, the world's first optimized pizza delivery vehicle. And the winner of this challenge, I know it sounds improbable, great things that you can want to, but we made it into the Super Bowl with this vehicle. That's awesome. And we did improve the ability for Domino's to be able to optimize its system for delivery. And it wasn't me again, it was our community. And so these things gained notoriety for us, and we ended up working for Airbus, who we work with now. And this was the first cargo drone done in about three months. 25 kilogram drone, designed by the community, optimized, and we engaged all kinds of community members. And if there's any lesson that I have for you tonight, remember, it's co-creation and micro-manufacturing. It's not about a making box. It's about having more intelligence focused on the problem to come to the most efficient solution. All of these things are doable, able to be made by our enemies and by ourselves. But the faster that you can collect intelligence, it's not maybe how you want to build the next nuclear bomb. Those should be secrets. But these things are really about speed to the battlefield. They're about winning the air war over Europe by, by creating a P-51 Alpha, Beta, Charlie, and Delta, so to speak. And this is what we're about today. And today our latest product, and by far our most successful, is a cognitive self-driving vehicle called Ollie. And Ollie is a cute little shuttle that takes people around without a driver, and it talks to you when you get on. And Ford and Tesla and Faraday Future are all talking about how they're going to build an autonomous vehicle and it's going to be on the road level five and they'll have it out in 2021. Well, this one is shipping this year. That's what speed to the battlefield means. So I like to think we build ideas like anyone else, like unlike anyone else can. And we started with the biggest system of their, them all. And the greatest honor for me is I've gotten to meet great leaders. Jeff Inel called me in his office. He runs a small company called GE and he said, could you do it for us? and we did it for them. So we did it with appliances, and we knocked the cover off the ball, making not tanks and not vehicles, but making a sous vide cooker, a Prisma um, infusion coffee maker that makes cold brew in eight minutes on your, top, on your desktop, and then an ice maker that gives you sonic ice, for those of you that like sonic, it gives you sonic ice for less than $399 on your desktop in your kitchen. And so this is Muse. We did it again for GE, and we are looking at inspection technologies challenges. So it doesn't just have to stick with cars. And then, of course, as you've seen, we're now working with Airbus to do some amazing things. So I hope that we can be, as one great mentor of mine uh, said at one day, I want to be the store for everything. And people told him, why don't you start with books? Because a store for everything sounds improbable. But we want to be a platform to make things quickly, to deliver things on the battlefield and off the battlefield. And I believe we can be a microfactory and a network for everything. So those are the things that we expect to see next. And here is an image of what it takes to 3D print a car, which we can now do in under 20 hours. It's pretty awesome, right? Yeah.
Thank you for your time this evening. It's been a pleasure to join you.